Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Samara Hernandez, founding partner of Chingona Ventures, an early stage venture fund investing in the next generation of badass founders. And in this episode, we talk about how Samara got involved in venture capital and why she decided to start her own venture firm, how Samara found an LP for the fund, how she deals with imposter syndrome, deciding between starting an angel group and a venture fund, how Samara advises different types of investors, the keys to being resourceful as a fund manager, how Samara goes about building deal flow, the role of fund's life cycle plays in venture capital, how Samara approaches investing geographically, evaluating founder market fit, and so much more in this episode. As always, the show notes are justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Various Search, a boutique legal recruiting firm that uses a bespoke approach to fill legal department roles from general counsel to paralegal. They have a particular focus on startups and growing tech companies. This focus allows them to provide individualized in-depth attention to both their clients and their searches. They focus solely on placing in-house candidates, which allows them to give their clients a bespoke experience in filling their legal needs. Their matchmaking approach ensures that clients are paired with candidates who not only have great credentials, but who are also a good cultural fit for a growing company. You can learn more about Various Search at VariousSearch.com. That's V-A-R-I-A Search.com. Again, VariousSearch.com. Without further ado, here is Samara Hernandez, founding partner of Chingona Ventures. Samara, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come on. And as we mentioned before we chatted, there's a lot of founders that we uh, have in common that we know of it that you invested in or you're a board member of, which is so great. And for people who don't know Chingona Ventures, can you tell us kind of what you're focused on and a kind of overview of uh, the venture firm? Yeah, so Chingona Ventures is a pre-seed fund focused on investing at the earliest stages. Um, with founders that are in industries that are growing but massively overlooked. Um, We are typically the first institutional check-in, so check sizes between 100 to 250,000. We invest in founders all over the United States, and uh, we invest in all kinds of founders, but we do know that less than 1% of all founders are from racially diverse backgrounds. And uh, we like to ensure that our our deal flow and our portfolio is diverse. So in our portfolio, we have 60% women CEOs. We have close to 75% of racially diverse uh, founders. And uh, we're excited about that. But areas we really like are fintech, future of work, femtech, food, health and wellness, and edtech. And the name Chingona means badass woman in Spanish (laughs) from Mexico. And so (laughs) we are investing in badass founders. That's perfect. And I've seen the list, like I said, of people you invested in. It's so exciting to see who who's coming up from there and and with as well, as I look through your your history and where you've you've come from here with Goldman Sachs earlier on, how did you end up deciding to start a venture firm? Yeah. So People ask me this, when you went into venture, did you think you were going to start a venture fund? And if you would have asked me day one of the job on the job, if I was going to run my own venture fund, I would have 
laughed and been like, you're nuts. <laughs> you know, like I am just so excited to just be here and sit down and talk to, you know, my founders that I, that I could potentially work with. Um, so it was a lot of obviously hard work, a lot of uh, just seeing a big opportunity and being extremely passionate about it and having an authentic point of view that at the time was a little bit more controversial than it is today. So, you know, when I first got into venture, I, I was at a venture fund that focused on early stage to growth. And I had an amazing team that brought me on as part of the founding team. I, um, you know, learned a lot from them. It was in the Midwest. But as I was doing investments, and as I saw the investments that were getting done in the venture space, I kept seeing the same types of industries getting funded, the same types of founders. Uh, I kept seeing, you know, it was very much network-based and where you went to school and where you worked. And, and I just kept seeing these really, really great businesses that were just not getting funded. And, and many times they had more traction and, and maybe the founder didn't pitch well, or, or maybe they didn't have, you know, the right network, but they, they had a really great business early traction. And, you know, I would hear things like, oh, it's in a niche market, or if it was a women focused, you know, product, it was like, oh, well, my wife wouldn't use it. Mm-hmm. Or there were even challenges that founders faced that were different. I remember there was a woman that, that came to check in to see me. And I didn't have a meeting with her. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, I, I'm booked back to back. Did I double book myself? But, and she says, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not here to see you. But you're the only woman here. And I'm meeting with a bunch of ECs. I just had a baby. And I just need somewhere to pump. Can you help me? <laughs> You know, like little things like that. And, and I was just like this woman. And at the time I didn't have a child. And now that I do, I'm just like, oh my gosh, how do these women, especially, you know, moms and new moms go out and fundraise when you're nine months pregnant and you're just like dizzy and tired and and you have to run a business, you know? And for me, it was that it was like, there's nothing out there. No one's doing this. And so I started talking about it. I started mentoring, but as you know, like underrepresented founders are over mentored and underinvested. And that's what my friend Monique Woodard always, always says. And so I just like, you know, this is the time. And I was fortunate that I found a a limited partner, an investor in my fund that was looking to fund a fund like this. And so we were able to create this together and, you know, launch it last year. With that as well, Samara, how long did that process take uh, in terms of finding the LP for the fund? Because that can be, I mean, that's, that's what it goes into actually creating a, a fund. How does that process go for you? Yeah, I get asked this a lot because especially now, a lot of people are going to market raising their own funds. I don't know how many there is, but there's a lot more than there was even a year ago. And, you know, I'm not too far along, but but I am, you know, call it two years, two and a half years in. Yeah. And uh, it's it takes a long time. Now, you know, I, I was not, I'm not new to venture, you know, in terms of but when I launched my fund, I was, I had five years of investing experience across two different funds and had over, you know, 50 to 70 investments that I had done, um, multiple other transactions, even a few exits. So I wasn't new to venture, but I was new to my thesis and yeah. I had built a, you know, deal flow around it. And there was background in that, but there was no kind of portfolio based on that thesis. And so I, uh, and I say that because it, it is hard no matter what. 
um, I know even friends that that come from very large, big name VC funds that are still struggling to to close their first five, 10, 15 million. And so what I always like to say is that, you know, start with, even if it's something small, and even if it means that you stay at your current venture fund or wherever you work and build a track record. Now, some people have family money that, you know, can write a million dollar check and start (laughs) investing personally. (laughs) Yeah. I don't. I don't have that. And, and many people don't. And so there's other ways of creatively being able to build a track record around your your uh, thesis. And uh, that could be even personal checks that are smaller, you know, call it five, 10K checks if you're able to do that. It could be through crowdfunding campaigns. It could be through even a virtual portfolio. Like I had I had it in my, in my head in enough time where I was like, I saw this company, this company, this company that I would have invested if I had a fund. And I have enough data points now where they've gone on to raise larger rounds, they have revenue growth, or in, in some cases had exits. And actually, some of those founders did reference calls on me uh, for my LP because you know I didn't have kind of much else beyond the portfolio, portfolio of companies I had built at my last fund. And so, uh, so I always think about that from a creative standpoint of attribution to build credibility. Um, but it, it, I, you know, when I was looking to do this, I was looking to launch an angel group. Cause I was like, I don't think I'm gonna be able to raise a fund. Like I, <laughs> you know, who's going to want to invest in me and, and all this other stuff, you know, that you tell yourself it's like this sure. imposter syndrome. And that's why I named my fund Chingona Ventures because I was like, anytime I feel this way, I, I look at the fund name, I look at, you know, my, my logo and it's Chingona and I can't, I could have imposter syndrome for like a minute and then, <laughs> you know, be done with it. So, uh, but yeah, it was just when you just, you've built this brand, when you've built this deal flow and you tell everyone about it and everybody knows about it and you've actually made checks or you've done things in it, then people just start talking about you. Right. And so my LP, we got connected through a friend of mine who co-founded the Latino Founders Collective organization with me. And so we connect Latino founders with other founders and with investors and through that network, we we have you know uh, founders that have come in, founders that got investments. So we have a little bit of a, a kind of a track record there where we built community. And so my LP was just he was looking to fund a fund like this, something with a very different thesis, a very different model, but something that could get outsized returns. And so that's how we connected. And it just so happened, you know, it was at the right place at the right time, but I had spent five years building this, right? It wasn't (laughs) like a brand new thing. And so when you hear about these quick raises and all this other stuff, I'm like, that's great. But usually there's a big story behind that. Yeah. Years and years in the making, right? Right. (laughs) Like it's really just nothing. You come from literally zero to then raising a huge fund. I mean, unless again, you have family connections or something like that. You mentioned the angel fund, like you were thinking about kind of an angel group you were deciding on what kind of tipped the scales toward the fund or uh, take me through that decision. Yeah, I always wanted to run a fund. I never, I, I thought the path of least resistance in the sense of, you know, being able to prove a track record and not being able to have my day job because not, you know, I couldn't run this by myself. I thought yeah. that having an angel group was the path to go because I had enough deal flow. I had enough angels that were interested in this individual investors and there was nothing like this in the Midwest. And so that's why I decided to, to run this 
type of, you know, a vehicle, you know, I, I had, I had mentioned this to a, a guy here in Chicago who has done a lot of angel investments and also has, you know, invested in funds. And so he actually ended up helping to launch this angel group here in Chicago, which now I'm on the advisory board for, and I advise on that. And so it's great because not only do I run my own fund, but I'm advising this other group of the next generation of investors and founders that focus on Latino founders and Latino investors, which, you know, the numbers are, are crazy, but in terms of the Latino community, it's one of the fastest growing communities in the United States with the highest purchasing power one out of every four kids born today is Latino. And so it, it for me, it's just a huge opportunity that is constantly overlooked. And, and Latinos are just very, very different. You can't just put them in one bucket as we saw with the election. Yeah. So I, you know, for, for me, it's really important to develop not only, not only invest in the next generation of of founders, but also bring up the next generation of investors and LPs. In that work, Samara, what are some of the things you're you're helping them with? You said kind of advising these other investors as well. What are some of the things either they have questions on or you're helping them with as an advisor in that type of role as well? Yeah. And, you know, it's different between the angel group and VC. So angels yeah. and VCs are, you know, they have a different risk return profile. If you, many angels, uh, it's a personal check. So they can just like you as a person and, and, maybe not even know what you do or your idea or <laughs> right. And just be like, I just like you. Here's a check. Yeah. And I, I say that because my, my husband's a CEO of a, of a nanotechnology company. It's very, very hard and heavy tech. And I remember one of his early angel investors was like, I don't know what the heck he's doing. I just really <laughs> like your husband. <laughs> you know, and he just wrote him a check. So it's, it's funny because like, you know, it's, it's, it's good in that sense of uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, can write these checks and you, it's hard to find them. Right. Obviously. And, uh, but it, it, after a first meeting, they could write that. And some, some are different. Some will do more diligence and the whole thing. But what I advise VCs is a little bit different in that you are a fund manager, you're managing other people's money. So it's a very different thing. You have to do, you have to find investments based on your thesis. You have to, uh, make, investments with the right check size. And if you're equity ownership sensitive, you focus on that. You have to make sure it makes sense for fund re returns profile, um, all sorts of things. So there's a lot of businesses that come through that I'm like, hey, this is a really great business, but it might not be something that I believe can return the fund. And you have to do that with every investment. Um, so, so, so for me, there's, there's different pieces of advice that I give for the angel group versus the VC. But, um, you know, many times either people go, trying to get into VC or starting their own fund, uh, they reach out to me. And the advice I give for people trying to get into VC is like, really understand the why and try to do the work before you actually do it. Because it's become like a sexy thing now and a lot of people want to get into it, right? But I know when I graduated from, from Kellogg, from getting my MBA, Nobody from my class was recruiting for for VC. There was not one person, and I, I ended up taking a class on it. And I was like, "Oh, this is pretty cool." And I did an internship, and I was like, "Wow, great!" You know, let let <laughs> I want to try getting in. And there's no job postings at the time. There was none. There was no. I didn't have anybody in my network that knew anybody, right? And so I just kind of like 
I don't know, maybe I was naive. I was like, oh, how hard can it be to get into to venture capital? Um, so, but it was a genuine thing of, of having done this. And then I spent the summer pre-getting a job, working with companies and doing a few projects with VCs just to get that experience and just to make sure this is really what I wanted to do. And so I always advise VCs doing that or aspiring VCs to, to do the job before you actually do it. And then in terms of people that are RVCs and looking to launch their own fund, you know, there's many, many, I get maybe three to five per week of individuals <laughs> reaching out, right, to start their own funds. And I think it's great because it's ultimately going to get more money into our founder, the founders that we back. But it's, it's, it, it, there's so much w- that's different from, uh, you know, working at a, at a, at a well-named, uh, well-established fund that already yeah. has a track record. It's very different than uh, if you do angel and checks and, and you're operating somewhere, right? It's a very different thing because it's a full-time job. You're, you're not only looking at companies, that's maybe 20% of it and analyzing them, but you're, you're doing portfolio management and you're, you're helping the companies get to that next point in their in their process of whatever that next point is um, whether you're, you're very involved at the board level and others or or just kind of um, you know passively involved but that's how you're going to make money is portfolio management you're out fundraising you're out doing the fun admin stuff which sucks yeah. you know like like the <laughs> unsexy uh, thing <laughs> unsexy there's a lot of unsexy things about it so uh so there's a lot of different things that that you don't see out in the news. You see like the big articles, you see the big the big wins, but you don't see the other stuff that that happens. And so you really, really have to love it. And I, I personally, this is this is an amazing career for me. I wake up thinking about this. I go to bed thinking about this. I, I'm even my my husband laughs that we when we used to go to dinner parties pre COVID. I was like, that was just always talk about the companies I'm in or the companies I just talked to or. <laughs> You know, like if I found somebody that's starting their own company, he said I would, I would just immediately start diving into questions. He's like, calm down, yeah. you know. So, I, I, I love what I do, but, but it's, it's, it's a very personal thing for everyone. Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. It's probably the same way with me in podcasting and the people I talk to in this show. I mean, I'm always mentioning like the things I, I talk to some crazy people. I mean, who's done some like in, incredible things. I mean, from people who are like, you know, making bionic arms to, you know, oh, it's wow. just like, like some incredible kind of different tech from deep tech and really futuristic things and using. VR to solve health problems and all these different things. I can't help but like mention it. So I have to like tame myself, bring it back a little bit sometimes when you catch yourself, you're like, okay, maybe my friends don't want to hear about every interview <laughs> right. I've done, but a couple <laughs> let's just put out there. And yeah. and one of the things you mentioned uh, is around kind of you know that portfolio management, fund management. Take me through how you've been resourceful as a fund manager with a smaller fund and how you've gone about running this and bringing interns on board. I heard that you have interns as well. Like how have you gone about that side, really making the most of the kind of capital you have for this? Yeah, it's hard because I don't have a big fund with big marketing spend. Uh, I don't have a chief of staff. You're looking at, you know, that's me. I don't have HR. That's me. I don't have compliance. That's me. It, it's all, it's, it's, <laughs> it's hard, right? Cause you get to man- manage all aspects of it. And, um, but it forces you to be super focused and heavily focused on time management and I'm also a mom to a two-year-old and, you know, there's, there's the, the, I'm reading a book on potty training at four in the morning to, to, you know, prepare yeah. for the next day. And I'm, and I'm getting all the stuff that, that happens with being a mom. And so it's, whereas prior to this, I was able to like on the weekends focus on stuff that can get done throughout the week. So it's, it, there's a lot of saying no, and there's a lot of 
time management that I constantly have to, to do. Um, but you know, you can do it and it forces you to be extremely resourceful with the resources that you have. I, I do have MBA interns that I've hired for the past six years across my last fund, as well as my new fund. I personally did that program and I benefited from it, from learning that this is what I wanted to do. And also I want to do that for other people. And so I hire two to three Kellogg interns every quarter to help me. And they are not just doing one project or, you know, sourcing a few companies. They're having the full senior associate experience. You know, they're the front line. They, they meet with companies from the beginning. They take all most of my first calls. They write a, a one page report and we go through every single company on what they do, their problem, and if it makes sense to take a second meeting, right? And so, and then they're doing the full on diligence. Um, we're talking about fund management. We're talking about portfolio construction. I tell them stories about like my, the board meetings that I'm on and how we're thinking about it. So the goal afterwards, I always tell them this, is to either decide, yes, I like this and I want to pursue a career in venture <laughs> capital, or no, I hate it and I want to pursue something else, but at least I know now. Yeah. And for me, they always provide so much more value than I could you know, ever, ever think of. And so I, I leverage them a lot. They've become part of my family. I have interns that call me, you know, from that have worked with me five years ago and are looking for a job or are looking for their next point in their career. And we want to talk through that, or, um, you know, I've helped many of them find jobs in, in portfolio companies. And so it is, I think of them as my family and I, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but, uh, everything else is just like, trying to just figure it out and scale myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love that. I loved hearing that because I think it, there's a lot of parallels between launching a fund and launching a business. I mean, it is a business. <laughs> you know, it's like the yes. same thing as a founder. And that's why uh, I was so excited to have you on because of that fact. Like I've I've definitely talked to other people who have been in a venture fund that uh, maybe joined and that's different uh, and different experience there. But when you're starting your own fund, especially it's that's difficult and it's challenging. There's so many things that go into that. So I, I love hearing that. And one of the things I'm wondering about with that as well, obviously you had been at a different fund before for a number of years and had some experience with that prior to launching this. You had mentioned building deal flow. How have you gone about that at this point or what do you do today in terms of building deal flow for Chingo and Adventures? Yeah. So when I look at the deals that have come in the last year, 50% have come from inbound, cold inbound. So we have a, web, a, a form on our website where anybody could submit their business. You do not have to have a warm intro to our fund. So 50% of our deal flow comes from that. And I think that's really important to me because of the founders that we look for. And many times, sometimes they have a network, sometimes they do not. We read every single submission that comes through. We uh, we do take meetings, the first meetings and second meetings and, you know, and look for them as a potential investment. Um, and we want to continue doing a lot more of that. So that's 50% of the deal flow. 30% comes from our network, uh, other investors. So many times we, we don't lead just given our check size, but we, we can, we've led two deals. Um, but many times they're from investors that are leading the deal that have done a lot of the due diligence. And so we leverage a lot of that, but 30% comes from there. And then 20%, interestingly enough, comes from other founders and many times founders we've passed on. So I always say that it's like a low bar to be a decent VC in that, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, just responding to an email or being transparent about something or not ghosting is is something that 
you know, we, we tried to do, we're not perfect. And, and, um, you know, we're, we're going to get people upset at us in some capacity because you're saying no to their baby. And so there's a lot of emotion that happens there, but we've been fortunate that many of our founders, especially actually I looked at it, women and women of color in particular, send their deal, send recommendations on their friends deals. And it just shows you the lack of funding out there for these founders or, or even just the lack of just good experiences that they might have. Because I have many, you know, founder friends that tell me these stories of other VCs. I'm like, you, this is nuts, right? <laughs> what actually happens. Yeah. Um, and so, so I think that's validating. We want to do obviously more of that um, as we expand our team and as we expand our resources. To that point, I'm just curious, how many more investments are you looking to do out of this fund? So we made 15 and we'll probably do another 10 to 15. So we're about halfway through. Okay. Um, so it's a, I, and and that's I think for us a good fund size in that it you know being a sole GP it helps me uh, I can manage the fund and I can work with founders in a very close and intimate way that I like to to work with them um, and it's and it, it's a great question too also as a founder if you're a founder that's going to ask a VC and, you know talk to them for a potential investment you want to ask that question because and I I say this sometimes sometimes it has to do something to do with your business and sometimes it has nothing to do with your business, but it's yeah. everything to do with where the fund is in their life cycle, how many more deals that they have left to do. Are you kind of up to par with some of those deals, right? You may, my friend, uh, Evlorde from four degrees said this, he goes, he goes, and you may not, uh, be a bad business or you're very, you know, you're growing and you have all the numbers and all that, but you might not have been the best pitch that day that the VC heard, right. Or something like that. And so, and so it, it's, it's, True, but but at the same time, you, sometimes you just need one VC, one or one lead investor, to to give you a term sheet or to to, to give you that big check and then catalyze around. And so, um, I always tell people that I pass. And I'm like, I, I'm going to be wrong a million times, and <laughs> right. Um, yeah. uh, but and that's my mistake, obviously. But but I have to do kind of the decisions that I know with with the information I have today and with the fund I have today and with the checks I have. Yeah. And on that note, I mean, even the best investors miss deals and that's the nature of venture capital. Uh, that right. just happens. And you look at some of the biggest companies in the world now, you could look at many of them and be like, okay, let's look at the investors that passed that are kicking themselves because yes. they did. And like that, you know, that happens for everyone. And the more you, people you talk to, the more you can't research this, you find that out. So that is one side of it because you only need a, a few big wins and you're good as a, yes. as a VC in terms of that, especially returning the fund. And one of the things I want to talk about too is just geography and where you look at expanding your reach and where you look at getting deals from in terms of geography, obviously being based in Chicago, but how do you look at that tomorrow? Yeah. And it was, it's actually a great segue from the last question because I invest all over the United States. I'm Chicago based, but yep. it's all over. So I've invested in San Francisco in LA, in New York, in Chicago, in Boulder, in Houston, and Miami. And pre-COVID, I would travel to these cities maybe once every other week. So it was a lot of traveling. And I remember going to San Francisco and people are like, this is what you're doing is hard. Or, or, you know, in the Midwest, sometimes they're like, well, if a San Francisco deal comes here, then it's, you know, they weren't able to get funding in San Francisco. So it's a bad deal. And, and the way I think about it is back to the founders that I back. So to your point, it is, I, it is not obvious to every investor 
how good a company is, especially at the earliest stages, especially where I go in the pre-seed stage. Yeah. So one example of that is is Zulika, who who you had on your show, the CEO of Zero Shop. I was introduced to her through a founder that pa- that I passed on, another woman of color, and um, she, I was introduced to her. And that was like her th- 300th meeting, investor meeting, right? <laughs> and she's in San Francisco. She worked at a venture fund before. And she's, she writes about this, right? She talks about this. Yeah. And she was just on it, like on her pitch, on her mission, on her KPIs, what she was going to do with the money. She had so much more traction than many of the companies that, you know, raise, you know, three to $5 million as a, as a first round. And I was just so impressed with her. You know, we made the investment, but I, and then, and then, you know, she grew, I think she's grown 20 X since February. This was like pre COVID yeah. she was growing and now Wild. she's like yeah. killing it. Right. And then she went on to raise a much larger on the summer and from, from larger VCs at a higher valuation. Right. So for me, I like to look at those businesses that are not obvious. And many times, even in the big cities with, when I say big cities, like coastal cities with more capital in those ecosystems, they, uh, it might not be obvious to these investors. And I'm okay being like, that's fine. I'll go in earlier uh, and see, and to see this potential. I always talk about diverse uh, investing in diversity as a, potential many times, even if they don't have traction, because you look at that in many other types of founders. Um, and it's because they have a network that they can, they're like, Oh, I know this guy, or that's someone's kid. And, <laughs> you know, he went to Harvard and and he's got like, we'll, we'll make an investment. Sometimes these founders don't have that network to vouch for them, or they don't come from an Ivy League school, or, you know, just go down the line of the list of things they don't have. But I look for things they do have and the things they can have, right? I love finding stories of founders that have uh, had to go through obstacles in their life and had had to go through things beyond what a founder has to face. And, and that, and like to be able to go through all that and get to that same point as other founders at this stage, or even beyond that in Zulika's case, yeah. I can only imagine what you, what you'll do with this $500,000 or with this, you know, next round of funding. And so for me, it's, it's less about geography, more about the founder, but uh, usually when you make an investment in an area uh, the, the, there's like a network effects with other investors and with other founders that refer you. So that's how I'm able to capture a lot of these other cities as well as with COVID, you know, <laughs> now we do zoom. So yeah. I can meet with founders all over the world and, and, you know, I can, I do just stick to the U S and, and Canada, but it, it, it's, it's accelerated the, the, the effect, the ability for me to invest in other cities. Yeah. And I think I like the point you mentioned there around you have make an investment in one place, it opens up to a whole nother network. I look at even just the podcast here with uh, some people I know now in like in Europe, in Asia, in India, India specifically, where then they introduced me to more people. And it's like, wait, how have I interviewed like a dozen people in India now? It's because it started with one, right. really. And it you opened it up. And now it's like a, also a network in SF now in LA, of course, Chicago couple now. And it's interesting how that evolves as you as you go through it, having those networks almost like a, having like a spearhead in one spot. And then it leads to just other other areas. And one of the things I wanted to ask about is looking at founder founder market fit. I know you've talked about this before, but what are some questions around that you're you're asking to kind of, to kind of figure out the founder market fit side of things? Yeah. 
And so I usually take the second meeting with the founder. So it's usually, you know, uh, the, my, t- my, the, my team members that take the first meeting and, and we've gone through their story. We've gone through the market, the opportunity, all the questions we want to ask. But I always like to start the conversation with tell me your, your story, right? There's only some, so much anybody can capture in notes or, or I can read online. And I, many times I don't even Google the, the founder. I want to hear from them. What their story is, and and like where you grew up, where you were born, what your your you know your parents did for a living, where you went to school, and some founders are a lot more open with that than others. There's one in my portfolio who's like West Point guy, uh, Booth MBA, Goldman Sachs, you know, just like very military, and it took a while to kind of get that out, but (laughs) got it, I got it, yeah. It was an incredible story too. We actually, we, we found out we ended up, uh, we grew up two towns away from each other and we have a lot of similarities in who we know in our network. Uh, but, but I like to hear those stories, right? That's the first point the founder market fit. And then the second thing is around how that ties into what they're building, that this aha moment, you know, do they come from this community? Do they do, have they spent years in the space and, and, understand the customer in a unique way. So I, I, one example of that is Steven from Encantos, who I don't know if you've had on your show, but you, you should absolutely have him. He is um, building uh, um, the next brands for the 21st century kids. And so he's starting off with bilingual brands in Spanish. And we, we just, as we talked about earlier, one in four kids in the United States born are Latino and more of the these parents that are not Latino are, are multi are multicultural, biracial, all sorts of things, and they want yeah. this diverse experience for their kids. Uh, and so I rem- Stephen has a background in PE and and marketing, and he's just done these amazing things. And he's like, when I had kids, I I realized uh, he's you know he's Latino and and an American, and he's like there was nothing that really educated my child, uh, you know, made it in a fun and engaging way, but used our stories from our culture. And uh, same thing for when I had my child, it was like, I want to make sure that he learns English and Spanish. And all the books were like, ball means pelota, you know, like (laughs) door means puerta. But there was nothing like the stories. You know, I I was born in Mexico when I came to the U.S. at a young age, but the, the stories of the, my mom would sing to me the the cultural run- relevance the the even the characters in in how they looked we latinos you know are so different and and so is the united states we all look so different and so being able to capture that not only the language but the culture the diversity of everything about about what makes the us beautiful and so i uh we met immediately like i got it done like i got it Let's go into the numbers, let's put the market, right? It was like an instant connection. And if you ever talk to Steve, he's just, he's in LA like you, and he's just like dynamite. You know, he just, you don't, even if you don't know what he's building, he's one of those guys like, I need to know you. You know, he knows everyone. So uh, anyway, so so, so it, it's that piece of it. It's like, it's like, what is a unique insight and why are you, why, what, why, what about you has, has built this? And he has an, Stephen has an amazing, you know, CMO experience and, and private equity. He knows how to get into the numbers. He does his own financial models, the whole thing. So, so I look for, for, uh, their backstory, why them, what their background, how that, how that ties into their, their story. And then the, the last thing it, it, around just mar- 
founder market fit is just also just me and 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 them and, and our connection and our excitement together for the products. I joke that many times I sell for my companies. Like I did a, a promotional video for somebody because I'm in their target market and I actually use the product <laughs> and I actually love it. And Steve and I were just texting this morning because my son reads all his books and and he's just I, I videotaped him uh doing some funny things with it. And he's like, Oh, we got to put this out there, right? People want to see this from you. And so I, it's also from a founder's perspective, you want an investor to be really excited about what you're doing and, and, and sell on behalf of you. And so it's also aligned interest. Sometimes they're, they're great product and, and market. And I, you know, I can obviously, I don't need to be the consumer. I can learn about something. And we just, we're, we just committed to a, a, a company in the developer tool space, something that I hadn't done before, but there's so much around it that I, that I love and that I learned and, and in the founder and the background. So there's stuff that we can learn from, but it's excitement and alignment together on our values first and foremost. And then this is a long-term partnership. How do we want to work together in the future? And so yeah. that's what I look like you know, and then there's all everything else around product and, and market and traction and exits. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, all, the, all, those, all those other right. slight, slight things. <laughs> that actually reminds me of uh, Jelani Memory. He's a founder of A Kid's Book About. I don't know if you've, have you heard about that company? No, I haven't. So they, he started a, a company previously that had raised a bunch of venture capital. And then he ended up starting a kid's book about because he has interracial family uh, from uh, his marriage now and a past marriage. And he wanted to teach his kids about racism and kind of these bigger topics that heavier topics. So he started a kid's book about, wrote the first one, a kid's book about racism. And it kind of exploded where people all were like, wait, what is yes. this thing? It's really amazing. And he's done now a whole series with other authors, uh, raised a little bit of funding and now is on Oprah's favorite things. Oh and my gosh. It, you should definitely, you mentioned I have a two-year-old. So uh, it's definitely for younger kids, but uh, eventually they can hear that as well. But I think for people who are curious about that type of thing as well, a kid's book about it is great. And it just goes back to that founder market fit of like, he had this problem. He yes. started this company specifically for this, and he's kind of perfectly suited for solving this problem. And that people really didn't know was a problem. But now you, when you see the books, you're like, oh, like how do you talk about these topics with your kids? Yeah, this is a great starting point, and it's just phenomenal. I had him on the show, and it's just phenomenal uh, to hear that as well. And and I, I want to give you the chance as well to talk about maybe just one or two more companies you invested in. Just just I want to know what company it was and why for just for other founders out there kind of curious as to maybe other companies and you know wondering about the vc world can you just give another example of a company you invested in and, and really the why behind it yeah so another one that i love talking about but it's uh it's suma wealth so i think you might know beatriz acevedo she's also in la and she's a i think she's a powerhouse ceo but she is building a financial wellness platform for the latino community uh, again, we talked about the numbers and I, I promise you, I don't only invest in companies for the Latino community, but, <laughs> but there are a lot of just, options. There. Yeah. There's a lot. And it's just one of the most overlooked things. It, it's crazy to me how no one's investing in this stuff. But anyways, she, she, her background is she was a CEO of Me Too, and many people in your audience who are Latino would know who Me Too is because they're like the buzzfeed for the Latino community. Mm. So they talk about that kind of the funny, but, you know, trying to make lighthearted of the fact that coming here to the United States, whether if you're an immigrant or having immigrant parents, you have these two cultures and these two languages and these two things you're, you're constantly dealing with. Uh, we say, in, in, there's a saying in Spanish, you're neither here 
you're not from here, you're not from there. Ni de aquí, ni de allá. Not from here, not... So you're constantly trying to, you know, put your foot into the, these two worlds. And uh, they, there's these funny videos, a funny content, but what she knows how to do, she spent 30 years in the, in the media space, what she knows how to do really, really, really well is she knows how to, how to engage this community. We shop differently. We look differently. We trust banks differently. We share differently. We're on our phones a lot more. We share more videos, right? We, we use a lot of different things outside of, we use WhatsApp a lot more. So, so she knows that. And so she built this huge community at Me Too. And so when she was looking for the next thing, she's like, okay, I know how to grow a community. But, you know, one of the biggest issues in our society today in terms of in the Latino community in particular, which I'm sure Sean Salas mentioned in, in mm -hmm. from Camino Financial was this piece around this building, building multi-generational wealth, understanding that many people, Latinos are starting faster businesses than any other, you know, demographic. We are um, not only growing in terms of population, but in terms of income. And so what do you do now with this additional income that you've acquired, um, you know, for me, it was always like my dad's like, save, 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 put your head down, work, stay at a job that has good insurance. And that was it, right? That was, that's <laughs> what, what helped us get, you know, ahead here in the United States. And then I worked at Goldman Sachs and I was like, what is this investing? What? You make yeah. your money work for you? You know, it was like this whole new world for me. And, um, and that's the stuff that you kind of, you, you need to learn. And so uh, what, what Summa Wealth is doing is ju doing just that and, and engaging people in a funny way to start. Right. So she'll have like, um, little funny things that she puts relevant to the Latino community. It gets your attention, but then it gives you a, a tidbit on a financial advice from a, finan a financial expert. And then eventually they're building out the, the, the financial application. So that's one that's really exciting. And you mentioned another one. Do you want me to go into another one? Yeah, I would love to yeah. hear. I think examples are fun and kind of interesting to follow on the story of why then. Yeah. Yeah. So so Tiny Organics is another one. Tiny is uh, originally out of New York. They came to the Midwest because they were looking for funding. Um, and, uh, you know, I love so many things about the Midwest, but there's very few people in the Midwest that do pre-launch companies in the consumer space. Um, and the CEO wanted to bring, wanted to get capital here because she wanted to expand here. She's from here. She wanted to move out here. And so she, I was introduced to her through one of my friends that, that, that met her uh, and we clicked instantly. She has a, she's doing a frozen baby food product for uh, kids. And th they, this starts at like four months or five months, right? When people start uh, when kids start getting off the bottle or off milk and, and going to, into solid foods, there's a lot of puree companies out there, but she's taking advantage of the baby led weaning movement. So frozen food, real foods, really soft. And then the child can, can eat it themselves with their hands. So, um, yeah, I, 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 we immediately connected. Our kids are like <laughs> one month apart, right? My son, my son did due diligence on the company. <laughs> <laughs> He actually tasted the food and I saw how he like, not only if he liked it, but how he grabbed it and how he, he used his hands and he was able to, it was the first time he fed himself, right? It was crazy. Yeah. It was like five months, six months. I was like, how the heck are you doing this? And it was messy too, right? But that's yeah. the whole point of it. So I just fell in love with what she was doing. And by the way, before she even launched, she had, she was nine months pregnant in Park Slope, Brooklyn, selling her baby food product in the park. 
And, you know, I'm like, if a nine month old, nine month pregnant woman comes to you and is trying to give you some food, you're going to take it, right? You're not going to say no. <laughs> um, but it was a very on brand for her. And a lot of those customers that had originally signed up were still around, you know, a year later. So it gave me validation on, on her, but also in this growing market that is often overlooked. And, and by the way, their ultimate mission is to make food, healthy food accessible to all. Right. And this is really important because it this it drives me crazy, especially in communities of color and other communities, some other low income communities that don't have access to healthy food. You go into some of these grocery stores and all they have access to are these products that are full of sugar and preservatives and all this other stuff. And 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 I it drives me nuts because it starts literally in the first food that you feed your child and, and yeah. how they, they get to know their palate. And so and, and food is a thing for, it's not just to eat, but it affects your, your, your brain. It affects how you, and just everything about, right, your overall health. And so um, anyways, that was the reason why I invested in the company. And Betsy's just incredible, the CEO, and so is her partner. That's amazing. There's so many, so many lessons from that. And it reminds me of another company, Ready, Set Food, that's trying to help children prevent, basically prevent food allergies by really introducing babies to a certain, certain uh, foods that will help them over time kind of not ha- be allergic to the other, other foods, which is kind of incredible to think about. And they went on Shark Tank and raised a bunch of money. Um, but there's so many co- yeah. companies out there that are doing interesting things around that. Uh, that's kind of fascinating from a venture capital perspective as well and trying to find those. And and with that as well, with all the companies you, you're looking at, you're seeing, how do you recharge away from work, Samara? Oh my goodness. Uh, well, you know, it's a constant, it's a constant thing you have to work on every single day, right? And so for me, first of all, physical activity, working out is something that I've done my whole life. And it started because I had severe asthma growing up. I'd go to the emergency room every, every, you know, other day. And so my mom put me in sports. So she'll put, she put me into swimming, gymnastics, cheerleading, whatever it was. And that, you know, helped my asthma and eventually I got better. But I am an active, you know, workout person. I lift, I run, I cannot basically function if I don't do that. That's, that's <laughs> my like me time, right? That's my, but then also when you become a parent and you run your own business, it's really hard <laughs> to you're always on, right? You're always, you never have time for yourself. And so it's really important for me to create that piece of it. And I recently started to not only train my my body, but also my mind as well. And this is something that, you know, was actually amplified during COVID for many of us, right? This mental health piece, especially with communities of color, because many times in these communities, you don't talk about it. You're, you're, it's just, it's stigmatized even more than other yeah. communities. Uh, I, you know, I remember one time my mom, I, I told my mom I was going to a therapist and she was, she was like lit a candle and she did prayer. She's like, Oh my God, Mija, like what's going on? She was so worried. <laughs> like, mom, it's okay. You know, it's, it's all right. <laughs> we're good. We're like, I'm just talking about like, the world is ending. There's a global pandemic, you know? I, <laughs> yeah. Just that. I, yeah. Just that. Right. We, we should all talk to someone. So it, it, you know, I've through that, I hadn't, you know, gone to a therapist in a, in a while. And I was fortunate that a lot of insurance plans now will cover it for free, but I do recognize that many people do not have insurance and going to a therapist is very expensive. So I'm actually looking at a ton of businesses around this space, but I, you know, started going to a regular therapist just to talk through things. And then also meditate. Like I never used to be able to meditate. And through all this being 
present and mindful of the moment and, you know, uh, thinking about just my diet as well. So, I mean, I eat pretty healthy, but there was things like added coffee that you have to uh, keep you up (laughs) back to back to back, (laughs) you know, Zoom meetings all day or, right. And so reducing my coffee and all that stuff that you start to learn about yourself when you start to, to, to train your mind. And a lot of this, it means, you know, maybe pushing meetings down the line or saying no to things. And, and it's, it sucks when, when there's like women and minorities and others are like, you know, you're inspiring me and, and, and I want to take a meeting with you. You have 30 minutes of your time. And, and many times, you know, I can't and, and be, not because I don't want to, but we talked about this before. It's a soul GP trying to run a fund, trying to fundraise. They always say on the plane, right? Put, put the mask on you before you put it on anybody else. Yeah. And, and that's super important. So what I've, what I'm trying to do, it's actually this meditation and all this other stuff has helped me be a little bit more creative. And it's like, okay, I don't want to say no, but what can I do to say yes? And so, um, one of my friends, uh, Elias Torres, the, one of the co-founders of Drift, who's incredible Latino, and build this really great business. He, her, his friend reached out to me, who's an aspiring MBA as well as an aspiring VC. And she's like, Hey, uh, I love 30 minutes of your time. And I, without question, I said, yes, at the time when I, when I could, um, because she's Latina and she's a Kellogg MBA. And so I was like, okay, I have yeah. a special place in my well, heart well, for of that. Course. <laughs> right. But, but he was like to her, wait, you didn't offer her any value, like nothing. She just said, yes. She goes, yeah. And so she got on the call. She's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I should have offered you something to write a blog for you or something like that. And I just go, no, no, it's fine. But she gave me this idea because afterwards my office hours are booked up for the rest of the year and all this other stuff. I'm like, the next person that reaches out to me for this, I'm going to ask them to help me create in like a fireside chat and AMA for mm. the specific community. And everyone's going to write in and say, all right, this is the give I, I, I can give to the community so I can help people prep for their VC interview. I can connect them with jobs. I can, you know, write a blog for Chingona Ventures, whatever it is. The ask I have is, do you have any jobs or connections or whatever it is? And then everyone's going to submit their resume. And it could be one, it could be two of us. It could be, you know, 80 of us. But the goal is like not just one meeting is that for me to take uh, to scale myself with, with a bunch of other people tell my story once. But more importantly, is the follow up after that, the community we're building. Right. Not just me. It's scaling myself and having this group of people. We can all help each other out to get people what they need to get to. And many of that is many times it is getting a job into VC or even deciding whether or not that that's the role. So, uh, you know, that's a lot. But but I've the main thing I want to say here is that is we all, a lot of us focus on our physical health and less on our mental health. And it's so stigmatized and I'm on a podcast talking about it and I'm okay. And you know, I think more of us yeah. should, because if that's not healthy, then it doesn't matter if anything else is healthy. Yeah. And there's so many people now that I talk to more and more people that have said similar in terms of they either are working with a coach, they're working with a therapist directly, and it's becoming less stigmatized. It's it's okay. It's really okay because we all need, especially now, I think we're just realizing the time we're in mental health wise, you have to find it out. And I think one thing that's really important, helpful for me as well, is just kind of uh, paying attention and and self-reflection to even know where you're at because you may not even realize how maybe bad of a place you're in or how much, you know, you could be in a better place. Let's put it that way. Uh, just by right. kind of paying attention and taking that time to reflect and be like, maybe I do need to talk, talk to someone, or maybe yeah. I do need to just go for a run or do some more exercise that will help me. Uh, cause you just get down in this kind of mental rut sometimes too. Um, and, and I like what you mentioned around, 
know, the ask of like, yeah, maybe someone does a blog post for you or helps out in some way because your time is limited and you have to find ways to scale, especially as a solo GP. That's wild. Yeah. yeah. And on that note, I mean, were there any other, like if someone's listening now, anything else in particular or any ask of the audience that you have? I just want to give you the chance to put anything out there. Yeah. You know, the, the way we're going to, to make a change is to help each other out. Right. And, and many times though, women and minorities do get asked to do a lot of things and for free. Uh, and it's hard when you're like one, one of the only, or one of the first or one of the few that you get asked to do a lot more stuff. And I have many conversations with many people in our community of like, you know, they're trying to run a business, they're trying to make investments, uh, and, and they're just like working nonstop. And, you know, what I realized actually for me is through my therapist was that I, I, the way I deal with stuff is just to be productive. It's just to be like, okay, pilot into yeah. work. And many of us type A people do that. And, and that's not, yes, you will be progressing in your career or you will be progressing whatever it is that you're working on, but you don't have time to really be present and, and enjoy the moments. And, and for me, that's, that's really special and enjoying the moments with my son and my family and, uh, and making, making time for that. So for me, it's it, whenever I, I talk to, especially women and minorities, it's kind of like, you are going to be a lot more helpful if you are successful, right? And there's yeah. very level, different levels of success. But uh, one of the stories that I remember from, from undergrad is, is when I was studying engineering at the University of Michigan, which is a very, very hard thing to do. I'm not a natural, like, engineer in that, oh, I don't have to go to class. I don't have to take notes. It just kind of, that, that, that's never been me, right? I actually used to go to two classes per day of the same class just to understand it better. I used to go to office hours and stay there even after I had gone through all the, the questions because I wanted to teach other people so that I, I wanted to make sure not only could I do it, but could I teach someone else to do it? Yeah. And, um, and I remember that I was in the library with, with my friend who's also Latina. She was an engineer. And there was a lot of people in the Latino community who were just like out there fighting for immigrant rights and farmers' rights and women's rights and all this other stuff. And they were, you know, one of my friends was like, why aren't you out here fighting with us? Like, why don't you care? You're, you're, you're an immigrant. You're a woman. You're, you know, you're, you're my grandfather was a, a farm worker. Why don't you care? And it made me feel really bad. I was like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Why, why don't I care? I mean, I do, but I have this test tomorrow and I need, I need to, you know, if I don't graduate, like I'm not going to be able to do any of this stuff. And my friend goes to me, she goes, you know, we're, we're fighting in our own way. We're working to be that 1% that they're talking about. Right. And maybe they can still go out and, and, and and protest and go and get their assignment done and, and graduate and become successful. And many of them have, and many of them have gone into politics. But for me, what I needed to do at that moment was I needed to study for my tests. I needed to get the whatever grade I needed to get to pass. And that in turn, I mean, I was still the president of the Society of Spanish Professional Engineers and all that stuff. But that in turn, getting my degree led me to Goldman Sachs, who that in turn led me to, to Kellogg and then all this other stuff to get me to run my own venture fund. And I'm still working really, really hard every single day. But the impact and the the on on the community and what I'm ultimately trying to build and the ultimate thing is for me is building you know this wealth is having this wealth creation in our community that we've never seen before through the founders I back 
through my fund and through the LPs that back me, right? And so for me, yeah. I'm able to make a different kind of impact than, you know, doing some of this other stuff that is also really, really good. But uh, I need to put the mask on myself first before I, I can do it on other people. Samara, I know we're out of time. I have a thousand more questions, but we're going to have to wrap it up there. <laughs> Where can people go to learn more about Chingona Ventures and connect with you? Yeah, it's so www.chingona.ventures. I'm on Twitter, Samara M. Hernandez, and uh, Chingona VC as well on Twitter. Perfect. Thank you so much for taking the time to come to the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, you can find Just Go Grind on Instagram and Twitter at Just Go Grind. You can find me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Find me on Instagram, JustinGordon8. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day.